time for you to step off the addiction roller coaster for good and learn a solution that works. Join addiction experts, hosts of the popular podcast, The Addiction Solution, and authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions, Mark Sharon and Michelle Dunbar, to learn a solution that will provide you and your loved one freedom from the addiction battle for good. It's called Families Moving Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a live online exclusive event where you'll hear information about addiction we guarantee you've never heard before, and that's great news. If you love someone struggling with an addiction, then this masterclass is for you. For more information or to enroll, click the link provided and register soon for the date that works for you, because each class will be limited to just 50 participants so we can best serve you. Hi, all you wonderful podcast listeners. This is Michelle just reminding you that if you live here in the U.S., we're happy to ship you a free paperback copy of the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. All you have to do is go to freebook.freedommodel.org. We ask that you just pay for shipping. If you live outside the U.S. and you want a free PDF, you can email me at info at thefreedommodel.org and I will send one to you. Thanks everyone for listening. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. Hey, everybody. Hi, welcome to the Addiction Solution. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. We are the authors with Stephen Slate of Freedom Model for the Family and Freedom Model for Addictions. Yes, and you can still get, you can get digital copies of both of these books for free at thefreedommodel.org. Enter coupon code FREEDOM100. That will remain that way forever. So if you have somebody that's like, hey, what you reading there? You can just send them to thefreedommodel.org and say, hey. You can get a digital copy of these books for free. You can also get a free paperback of the Freedom Model for Addictions at freebook.freedommodel.org. All we ask is that you pay for shipping. That's it. So what are we talking about today? Well, today we got a very interesting topic. which yeah, very I, specific. Very specific. And it really is about moving on. Um, but it was specifically about dating in recovery and specifically AA because, I mean, this person's experiences, you know, her sponsor was like, I'll tell you when you're ready to date. And I know that's a very common um, what, common advice that you get in yeah, AA is yeah, that you can't, you shouldn't be dating for a year um, and, and you'll, you know, you'll, somebody else will give you permission right? That, oh, now I think you're ready. And, and what's ironic about that is these people that give you permission or the, they can't, they can't know when they're ready until someone else gives them permission. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a weird thing. I, I think that, um, I think the n no dating for one year probably 
probably came from a good place initially because AA is filled with people in flux that that it's, I was one of those people and me too. And you're pretty screwed up when you get there. Um, You wouldn't go to AA unless you were struggling. So I think it comes from a good place, but the problem is because AA is such a, uh, well, it's a cult. It's a control-based model. It's it's a hierarchy model, and it's just morphed into that. It's always it's always been that. And so, um, so what happens is it, it, people start to manipulate each other, either yes. in relationships, out of relationships, or sponsors telling people how they should be living their lives. The whole sponsorship idea is bizarre to begin with. You know, yeah. Well, the spot, but explain what the sponsorship, where it came from. Yeah. So that, that it, it is interesting. So uh, you all know, most of you will know that Bill Wilson started, uh, AA Alcoholics Anonymous in 1935. And from 1935 to 1939, it was the, the organization as a alcohol help thing industry, um, was a dismal failure. And what Bill realized is he had to build some sort of control model in order to make this work. So what he would do is at that point, and AA still is this, it's just hidden. It was a religious conversion model into right. first century Christian ideals and uh, and and very manipulative. So what he would do is he would get somebody to come into Towns Hospital in, in New York City. They would. They basically opened a couple of small closet rooms uh, for detox, and then uh, Dr. Silkworth, who was the attending doctor there, agreed with Bill Wilson and the disease ideal. Right? They they created this idea that it was a disease out of thin air, um, and and so one hand washed the other. Bill wanted members. He wanted to create his cult. So what he did was he would, people would go into these detox, uh, rooms and then, uh, you would have somebody who had accepted Christ into their heart, had surrendered their soul, so to speak already. That person then became a sponsor. They had to sponsor somebody into the program. So they would have this fella, usually a man in those days, they didn't really help women much. Um, and that person would be sitting in a bed, totally vulnerable, shaking apart on Belladonna, which was the treatment at the time, which made you hallucinate and all kinds of weird things. Mm-hmm. And in a very vulnerable state. So the the, the person would then, uh, one of Bill Wilson's new sponsors would go in and say, okay, in order for you to come to our meeting, in order for you to be a part of this clandestine organization, you have to be sponsored in by this fella. And in order to be sponsored in, you had to surrender your will and your life. So you had to get down on your knees and do this surrender prayer and give your life to God and to AA. And, and then you had to promise to also pass on and become a sponsor. Now, if you didn't do that, you weren't allowed in, you weren't sponsored in, you weren't patched in like in a motorcycle club. Right. And, and so people in this vulnerable state, also, you, you need to know that they would separate the the man from his wife. So the wife was taken away into a different room and worked on by the women, the, the other wives. They would divide and conquer. And that's where sponsorship came from. It was you had to give your will and your life over to AA. Yep. 
and their version of God, which is, it was the cult. I mean, it was literally the building blocks of a cult. And then it, it self-perpetuated itself because now the person who does this detoxes and then becomes the sponsor, the person of power, which plays right into the hands of manipulation. And so now they're the sponsor sponsoring the new guy in. And it just, it's like what Jehovah's Witnesses do. You know, they, they just constantly are pulling in members. So that's, that's where it came from. That's and that's why, history. yeah, that's the history. And that's, that's where the word sponsor came from. You had to be sponsored in. Right. And now, now really what, what a sponsorship has become is, is this idea that you can't manage your own life. Right. So it's pseudotherapy. Exactly. The, so, so you have to defer to someone else who is more senior to you in the group. And, and then basically turn your, your life over to them and, and they will, will decide when you're ready. I mean, you know, I was advised not to go back to college right away. I did. I was advised, um, not to be, get involved with in a relationship. I did. Um, and you're still married to Bob. I'm still married to him. Now, I, you know, we were both very young and it was, we, I was very early in, you know, recovery, so to speak, when we got together. Um, and, you know, it was hard, but was it any harder than had I just been a 22 year old trying to figure out my life? I don't know. I know. You know, it's so, it's so strange that um, obviously people who are drinking heavily or drugging heavily have maybe a disproportionate amount of problems. But are those problems any really any different than any other problem? And I think that what we've done is we've made quote unquote addiction, which is not really a, a compelled thing. Um, we've made that a special class, right? So, so once once you start creating the idea that people don't have control over themselves, which is a lie, which is you know, it's just a lie. Now you've complicated the landscape. You've made people broken. Then you add in relationships in this broken mm, state. And now, point. now you start to become much more needy and it does cascade into all kinds of problems. For sure. And so, so AA is telling you, or the people in AA are telling you, don't get in a relationship because it turns into a shit show a lot. Um, but they're creating the shit show. Yes. You know, by, by the nature of the environment of the, the way they, they frame things that you're this broken individual with all these boogeymen called addiction and drugs. So and character defects, right? Right. You're self-centered. You're selfish you're a sinner. Yeah. You're a bad person by nature. And, and here's the thing about this, the, uh, this whole arbitrary year, right this year um if you do nothing different but not drink for a year you're not a different person right you know there's nothing magical happens at the end of a year so so working through your there's i tell you there's there's no better way to to work through your problems and figure out how to be a better human being than being in a relationship um because if you're open if you're open to change 
and and you you're open to the idea that you know I want to learn how to be in a in a healthy relationship. Well, the only way you can really do that is to be in one. I, that's a great point. So, so we are creatures that procreate with sexuality, right? I mean, there, there's just a, ra- a, a obviously rational thing that we're looking at here. You need relationships. You yep. need sex. You need intimacy. You need a companion at some point. You don't need it, but you do, most people do. Yeah, you know, we're to built, be to be happy. Yeah, and, we're built right. for that. Now. I had plenty of relationships that were a disaster. Oh, me too. Right. (laughs) So, but I think that I needed those to learn because I didn't come from a good, stable environment. I didn't understand. It took me decades to figure out how to be a good mate, how to be a good husband, how to, how to really figure out how to care about people. Um, it, it was an exercise that I had to practice and, and I failed many times, but now I'm at a stage in my life where I feel very, very comfortable and I know I'm a loving, good person. Um, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know oh, that. Yeah. When I came into AA, I was a train wreck. So like I said, I think the intention of AA on the one side of the people that don't understand the history of the cult of AA, they're walking into a situation with good intentions and they're ending doing the very same thing that Bill Wilson was doing in that hospital, which is manipulating. Yeah, You know, sponsors aren't therapists. They're not trained cognitive behavioral therapists. They're not. They're just people who are fucked up like I was. Right, right. And and I think it's kind of an irony. I mean, the vast majority of people that uh, people with long term sobriety that I knew in AA, their relationships were a mess. Um, they did not seem to have any better, you know, they, I, my sponsor, I had 10 years of sobriety when, when I, she became my sponsor. So by all intents and purposes, she was a, a guru, you know, she was somebody, she had a lot of sponsees and, and people really looked up to her. Her life was a mess. Her life was a total mess. And, and, you know, she continued to struggle. Well, you know, I was probably, probably five years sober. I was pregnant for my son when, when, you know, she came to me for help about her relationship. So, and this was after I got with somebody so early on and I was, I mean, the drama surrounding that was really bizarre. It was unhealthy. The drama was unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, we were, we were together on the down low for a while and, and then I finally was like, this is ridiculous. Why do, why do we care what everybody thinks? That's so, that's so true. You know? And I mean, th- people were, I mean, the women and not my sponsor, my sponsor did not do this, but I don't know if she put them up to it, but this crew of women that I was hanging around with, you know, one, when everybody found out that we were together, the crew of women took me for a drive after the meeting. This crew of men took Bob for a drive after the meeting and basically were like, you're killing each other. Oh, yeah. You're literally so killing each other. One of you will die. Like these dire predictions yeah. for what all this bad shit that was going to happen. And, and I'm like, well, I guess it's my life to figure that out. Right. Like it was just all very strange. It yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, can you imagine in a normal scenario, like people that f- like, like just a friend that feels like that they have the nerve to do that? Do you know what I mean? To just say to you, oh, he's he's bad for you and you're bad for him and and you need not to be together or you're going to kill each when other. you didn't ask. You yeah. Just, you didn't ask for advice. Now, now, mind you, I'm, 
I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there's, this is a different situation, but there's a lot of really twisted characters. Oh, in for sure. So like I said, I think there's some good intention here. So I'm not going to ignore the fact that there's sexual predators, criminals. Oh, for sure. You know, highly manipulative uh, people who are sexual deviants and really hurtful people, uh, you know, in AA. Uh, it's littered with it. But but it's the same. Like, I went from this lifestyle, promiscuous, heavy substance use with the same characters. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So my risks were exactly the same with one exception. And that is I wasn't with a heavy – I was with somebody that was abstinent. And for me, that tipped the scales in my favor immeasurably because, I, you know, I was a, I, I was, I had a lot, I put myself in horribly risky situations for the, you know, five years leading up to getting sober yeah. and, and was, and had some horrible things done to me. Um, so for me, better was better. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I think that, um, I think that you have your wits about you. Yes. Right. Yes. And I think that that's why this topic comes up so much. I think that it, the standard when you're totally wasted all the time is oh. is so sad. Yes. You know, I can remember uh, being in a place in a, just a, a horrible place with this young woman. And I was I was young. I was 18 at the time. And my life was just spiraling and, and it was incredibly lonely and we were not good for each other. I mean, mm -hmm. it was terrible. And, and I just didn't know how to get out of it. I just didn't know what to do. And eventually it just all cascaded into just disaster. But, um, and the things that were happening around me, cause I lived basically in a drug house, it, it was really sad to watch. So when I went to AA, I could feel the sense of all that. Yes. And, and I would watch some of it going on, but if anything though, it makes the narcissists and the men specifically more crafty. That is a scary part in AA because they have, their right. wits they about have them. their wits about them too. That's yeah. a great point. Yeah. So now they're master manipulators and, uh, and well, and AA actually has that creates that culture, that environment, a, a predatory environment. It does because now guys like that and some women too, for sure. No doubt about it. Um, become, uh, just really crafty manipulators. So I, I think that, um, you do have to be careful. Yeah. Um, and, and should you avoid people in AA? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, me I, neither. You know, both of us are married to people that were quote unquote in recovery when we were quote unquote in recovery, Right. you know, all that nonsense. Um, and, uh, I've been married now for over 20 years and you more than 30. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, I but I'm not going to say it was easy. No, God, but no. The, the thing is I had a real sincere desire to change myself and Me I too. And in my case, there was a period where I spent four years celibate. I did. Now, a lot of people don't do that. I had to for different reasons. It had nothing to do with really relationships. It had to do with, I was crawling out of such a bad place financially and professionally, I really wanted to build a business. Right. You, right. You know I mean, I wanted to have a living because I started with being bankrupt and, and homeless. Um, but that was my priority. Right. So 
So that helped me. So everybody has a path. You got together with Bob right away and mm -hmm. built a family. And and that was your salvation was having children and it was living it was, having a like stable life. Exactly. Like I, I want Mark and I talk about when you're moving on with your life after you've, you're changed and the change can happen in an instant, in a day, right? So when you get the mindset of moving on, and I think this is the difference. Yeah, is. Okay. Like my goal, because up until that point, I wasn't this. My goal was I want to be someone my parents can be proud of. I want to be the marrying kind. That's what I wanted, which, right. and you I know, I wanted to be the good citizen. Yeah. Right. And, and, and people, yeah. the way women, you know, people that are like women's rights, women's lives, whatever. Look at, I was not happy with the lifestyle I had led up until that point and, and really didn't my self image was not someone that would be a wife and a mother. Well, the other thing I'm going to jump in here because I know Bob, I know her husband. He's my best friend since we were 10 years old. So Bob was as, as crazy as Bob was back in the teen years, he was a model of stability for me even. Yes. So, so Bob was always really, really solid yes. like as a person. So, so who you picked, he was, was yeah, he was not what I would have normally picked at all, <laughs> but, but because you had a goal that yes. was this lofty goal to be the marrying kind and have that stable life, you picked somebody that, that. And, I was, and both of you bailed on AA right away and moved on with your life. You moved on. Yeah. I, I didn't because I had a I had a different mission. So we had these two different very experiences. I, I stayed in AA to change. Well, we it. stayed in. We stayed in for many years. Yeah, he yeah, didn't yeah. though. He wasn't once he met me, he wasn't as fully invested. But you remember you and I were doing all the service work and we were oh, doing yeah, the volunteer yeah. work. And so so but then you did go through a period where you left. And built a but family. I, yeah, but that was after I, I didn't leave until I was pregnant for my second son. Oh, yeah, that's true. Christopher. Yeah. Christopher. So throughout the 90s, I was pretty heavily involved. Once I had my first son, I was only going a couple days a week. I was not, and I was I was limiting who I was sponsoring at that point. But Mark and I became like these. 20 something gurus yep. and him for the men, me for the women. And, and it was, uh, it was and, a pain in the ass. <laughs> it was crazy. It was Thank God there were no, no social media and no cell phones <laughs> at that point in time, oh, because we would have been called continuously. I was, as it was, as it was, I was, my landline never stopped ringing all hours of the night, all hours of the night through weekends, through, um, you know, these women were needy. Right. Um, but the one thing, okay. Like, like I was not that kind of sponsor that was going to micromanage your life. Like, I'm like, no, you're supposed to be figuring out how, how to do these things for yourself and learning and opening your mind to the possibility that you can be somebody completely different. Yeah. You know? And so why would I want you to slow that process down? Right. Right. You know, so this I, is about moving on. It is about moving on. So the question is, I think that I think that what we've shown you is that both Michelle and I, what made us survive through these relationships, and I had I had other relationships. She got married, but I had other relationships, like four different relationships over the next 10 years within that community. And and what made me each one got better and better and better and better. I was right. learning they more did. and more. So for me, I, 
I wasn't sure what I wanted in a woman and in my life. I was so focused on the freedom model and building it and doing research that the relationships were kind of an, of an ancillary thing in my life. And, and I was, I was figuring things out. I was really a damaged dude. Um, and so I, I was cautious in relationships and when I made mistakes, it hurt. Um, but I wouldn't say I was ever a narcissist. I wasn't like no, that. No, God, I was, no. You I were was, always kind. Yeah, I was always trying to be better, mm -hmm. you know? I was just a pretty flawed guy at the time. So here's my point. If if there are, if you're a person who has had very little success in relationships and it's been very painful and dangerous, then then just watch out in AA. If it starts to repeat itself- Right. Get the fuck away from those people. I spent that four years celibate, not like a, like a pre-celibate. It's just I had other priorities, which was fantastic for me. Yeah. Now, I was focused on something really good in my life. And for me, moving on was I didn't need to be in a relationship for the first time in my life. That was new. Right. And know? I had done that. I had done that before. I stopped drinking. I I like swore off of relationships drinking heavily because I just picked so terribly and um and I just wasn't I wasn't a good mate and I knew I wasn't. So I did that, you know, in the last 6 8 months of my drinking, I was like, no, I'm just not going to, you know. So then when it when I met this person right away when I got to AA and he was not like anybody I had ever picked before, right? He was to like in everything and looks, personality, th everything, not what I normally would pick. Um, I was like, I'm going to give this a chance, you know, because, because it, it was different. It was what you were attracted to. It, it was what you wanted. And he, he, so, so I think it's really important to know yourself. Yes. If if you're at a spot where you you pick bad, um, I I can't say that anything in AA in that regard is good. If you I if agree. you pick bad, and and you have a, a pattern that's, that's of that, your pattern, right? Well, that you then AA is not the place you want to <laughs> start picking from. No. Um, because you're gonna pick some dangerous people. Uh. The other thing is, if you're stuck in AA and that's the pool you're picking about, um, you you haven't moved on. No, no. AA is a trap. It is a trap. And look at, I, I was fortunate. I mean, I don't want to say I was lucky. I was fortunate that I that I picked well early on because because I I do know the horror stories. I have known people personally who hooked up with very controlling, abusive people in AA. And, you know, I've known somebody that was actually murdered by the man she met in AA. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, me too. And, Super sad. But that happens outside of AA too. Yep. It definitely happens in the heavy substance using world, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so, so, you know, you just... Uh, caution is in order if you're going to date in AA but, or if you're going to date anyone anywhere in this day and age. I mean, I, I know, you know, we were talking about this the other day that, you know, it's, it's harder for young people supposedly to meet 
um, to meet a good mate because there's most people meet online now. And, um, you know, the kind of the way we used to meet people, you know, is just at work. At, at school, at like, it doesn't seem like that's happening as much anymore. I don't know. But I think if you get out and you live your life and you, you concentrate on that new self-image and creating the life you want, I think the people to date will show up. Well, that's, that's everything. So I, that's what I wanted to get into. So Imagine that AA doesn't exist. Yes. So we have to assume, let, let's let's look. I, we started with the history. Alcoholics Anonymous is a control-based cult. Yep. It's a control-based cult. It is nothing more, nothing less. It is destructive. And any any benefit people receive is usually a net loss. Yeah. In the aggregate of the experience you have, you lose time, you lose resources, and you lose relationships, you lose family relationships, you build tension in your life, you build guilt and shame. There is no good side to AA except for people who select the social aspect of it and somehow get well in spite of it. And that's that 5% that end up being gurus or just live their life in meetings. And even those people, even those people struggle later on. Many of them struggle later on when, when the shit hits the fan in their life. That's exactly true because it's all set up that way. So here's my point. If you're already screwed up like I was and you have a drinking and drug problem and you're going to a cult that's destructive and then you're going to look for relationships in a cult that's destructive, I don't see a net win. No. So- so then there's these do-gooders in AA that say, wait a year, because somehow they know and they've seen enough carnage happen to people and unfortunate circumstances that that's their answer. Now, that should be a warning. Yeah. I mean, what other organization do you know that gets in your business and says, watch the fuck out, man. Don't date anybody here for a year. Uh, but after a year, give it a shot. I mean, that's nuts. Yeah. Well, you know, we used to that's have a, a friend in AA who would, would say, this is what he would say to his sponsees. You know, when you're in AA, you got a 50-50 chance of meeting an axe murderer. So, you know, you ain't taking your chances. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all hyperbole, but the point is you're starting, you're starting, you're at the start line in a cult. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that you're, you're, you're not batting a thousand here. So. Um, I was very bad at relationships. I had a severe guilt problem. I had a severe alcohol and drug problem. I didn't know how to have relationships. I felt horrible about myself. I was extremely emotionally needy and I had a violent streak. Awesome beginning. <laughs> he then, was a great pick, right? <laughs> then, then add in that I'm injecting myself into a control-based cult <laughs> and I'm highly intelligent. And he became a guru. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a total, it was, it was bad. But it you was, know, here's the thing though. You could have been, he could have been one of those predatory controlling dicks. And you know who I'm talking about. These AA guys who are just like, you should be, you should feel, um, feel privileged to be with me, you know, and he was not that 
You were never that. Thank no, God. No, because I, I knew that something was really bad happening. Yeah. And I watched it destroy my parents' marriage. I watched it dissolve my family, but I didn't know what else to do. So you, what did I do? I stayed celibate for four years in AA. Yeah. And, and kind of wandered around looking around going, something's really, really wrong here. And I'm scared. I'm scared of myself that I'm going to make bad errors and I'm going to hurt people. Cause when I was drinking, I hurt some women, mm -hmm. you know, I hurt their feelings. I hurt them physically. I did some bad things when I was drunk. So I look out at that and I say to myself, I said, I can't do that again. I'm yeah. not going down that path. And boy, I got to tell you, I, it took, it took me a long time to figure out, oh, oh, my family's crazy because <laughs> AA is crazy because they were all in therapy. That was crazy Yep, with sponsors that were crazy. And, and this whole situation is a bunch of people. They're all trying to help in some bizarre way. Some weren't, there are some bad actors, but none of it was a system that was working. And that all played into me having my experience in treatment also for that 18 months going, I hate all of this. There's gotta be a better way. And you know, the relationship stuff is all a part of life too. I mean, this is it all is. part of the tapestry of building the freedom model. I had to figure all this stuff out too. And you did too. Yeah. You know, definitely. So I, to summarize, I think it's really important to know yourself. If you're in AA, you're in a destructive cult, know that. Um, and there's no, there's no gray area with that. That's just what it is. And so you're, you're injecting yourself into a situation that is a minefield and you might want to hop out of that. And if you're going to date, do it outside that realm. Yeah. There are lots of really good people out there that don't get fucked up every day. There are most of the world. It doesn't do that. Pick from, it, the, it, pick from the bigger pool. <laughs> I mean, that's, here's the thing about, um, so like, what is the word I'm looking for? It's, um, oh, confirmation bias. When we are getting, you know, drunk and high every day and we're living that lifestyle, we surround ourselves with people that do that. Right. So our perspective is everybody does this. Oh yeah. That's right? huge. Yep. So, and no matter how old you are, you think everybody does this. In my twenties, I was like, everybody's doing this. Now it was about 60 to 70%. So that's not everybody. Um, and the most, the 70% were only doing it once in a while. I was doing it every day, but, and I was surrounded by people doing it every day. That makes up only about 25% of, of that population in your twenties. Okay. Just to put things in perspective. So three and four people don't behave that way, but I didn't know that. And so that's what I picked. Right. And then when you get sober and you're in AA, you have this perspective that everybody, but the people in AA behave that way. That's true. So everybody else is drunk and high. Yeah. A worthy, yeah. And anyone who drinks or does a drug is an alcoholic or an addict. So I can't pick from the outside pool because they're all fucked up. Well, here's the thing about this. That's not true at all. We know from the data that nine in 10 people get over the problem once by the time they're 30 years old, most everybody is done with that lifestyle. Yeah, seven out of 10 are. Yeah, yeah. And most of them don't go to AA. So you have literally the majority of people that are not in AA are really great people. So the pool you have to choose from outside of AA is bigger. It's and better. It's better. More people, stable. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, and, and if you want to pick somebody that's more stable, look at their parents. Yeah. Look at their relationship with their parents. Look at their parents' relationship. Um, both Mark and I come from, you know, broken homes, so to speak, and um, really screwed up childhoods. So, so we did not have good role models. Um, and which is why it was a struggle, which is why it was a struggle. My husband's home life, not great. He didn't come from a great background. Uh, go figure. I met him in AA, so to speak. So, so our relationship was volatile and difficult in, in the early years specifically. Um, you know, but it was the best and the worst, but we were both also very young, you know, newly sober people trying to figure things out. There's a, one of the things that this person, when they wrote in the question for the podcast topic, she said, do I have to go around and tell the people that I'm oh, newly dating question. that, that I'm sober, that I'm sober, that I had a drinking problem that I had to confess. And, and here's the deal. The only reason that you would feel that you have to do that is because you have created specialness with your mm. habit. When you create specialness that you're an alcoholic or that you can't drink, or when you start to define it by the rules of Alcoholics Anonymous and the cult of Alcoholics Anonymous, it becomes something that you have to warn others about and you have to live in these artificial parameters of this person can drink or this person needs to feel uncomfortable to trigger you. And there's all this weird shit. When you move on, when you truly move on from an alcohol or drug problem, what you do is you frame it in the past as something that happened. That was something That's you preferred right. that you moved on from. I wouldn't say to, to, to somebody I was dating, I'm a recovered boxer. Right. Right. I used to box. It was, uh, it was risky. It was violent. It was, um, it was kind of crazy, the whole thing, but, but yet it has no relevance to, to anything of what I'm doing today or my relationship. And neither is a drug problem or a drinking problem and all that went with it. We all have a history. And let's say you meet somebody who's really got their shit together, came from a good family and is really just a solid guy or woman, right? You don't have to justify your past to them. You don't have to feel bad about it. You don't have to regret it. You you can just say, hey, I used to be a wild person. And shit will pop up when you get to know this person. And if the relationship works out, and they're going to know all about it anyway, so who cares? But you, in the first few dates, you don't have to say shit. Well, it also depends on what's your self-image. I mean, is your self-image, oh, I'm, a, I'm a recovering alcoholic, I'm a recovering addict. If you're going to carry that self-image with you um, into relationships, if I was, you know, if I was in the dating world again and somebody said to me, oh, I'm, I'm an addict in recovery, I would run for the hills. Me too. Me too. You know, because, because you still have that addict self-image, then the odds are pretty damn good. The odds are about 95% that I'm going to be dealing with this some, at some point down the road if we have a serious yeah, because relationship. You still, you still view alcohol as some sort of cunning, baffling, powerful agent, and it's right. not. So, so these are the things you have to come to grips with growing and growing past the cult mentality yeah. past the cult methodology and and just move on yeah now to do that that's why we wrote the freedom model so if you want your relationships to get better you have to move on yes change that self-image because you don't have to tell someone any anything about your past if your self-image is that of a free person that's right that's right
So I think that we covered it. That's perfect. This was a great topic. Look at, if you have a topic you want us to do, email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. You can send us feedback about our podcast. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating wherever you are because it helps our podcast get out there to more people. That's right. And don't forget, we always have the Families Moving Past Addiction Masterclass. Yeah. It's free. We have coaching. We have the online program. We have a lot of services that are completely affordable or free. Yes. And we are in the process of creating, well, actually they're up, they're up and you can check them out on our yep. website on the freedommodel.org. We have a one day family workshop where families can fly in, spend the day with Mark and I, and we're doing four families at a time. So it's first come first serve. So if that's something that might interest you or interest your family, you want to, you want to take a trip to upstate New York for, for a couple days, um, go to the freedommodel.org for the family tab and look up family workshop. We are also creating a one-day Jumpstart to Freedom workshop for the substance user. The first one will be July 7th. So that is in just over a month, about a month and a half. Um, go to thefreedommodel.org for the substance user and look at one-day Jumpstart. Is that what it says? Yes. One day jumpstart workshop. Jump to freedom. Yep. So um, yeah, we're we're just have all kinds of new services for you. So yeah. we're really excited to be able to work with people one on one again, but but in a very different format um, where we can we can get you that jumpstart that you need to to change that self image and get on with your life. That's right. So thanks everybody. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? Well, that's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic, and we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.